Welcome to the Dildorks, dorky discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and uh, the author of an upcoming sex book. Woo! Woo! Yeah, there's more stuff about that on my blog. I guess I'll talk more about that later. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger and perpetually distracted by the fact that it's snowing for the first time in New York outside of my window. So sorry, that's going to be this whole episode. You listen <laughs> to the ADHD one, you understand. It's fine. <laughs> it's like snowed a few times in Toronto already this year, which is just sad and disappointing. And why do I live there? Answer, because I love it, but <laughs> that's irrelevant. Um <laughs> So we wanted to do a kind of a hypno kink 101 app because last week we were talking about hypno, but like really perverted advanced shit. Uh, and I, so, yeah, I feel like we've only talked about the really perverted advanced <laughs> shit. And I think that's just by virtue of us being like, that's the stuff we find fascinating. And at yeah. this point, that's kind of how we get into a new kink. <laughs> Like, what's the weirdest, is, most dangerous thing you can do with it? Right. We, because those are the people we're talking to, and mm. those are, like, when I'm looking at a workshop on a thing, like, when I'm looking at a schedule of classes, I'm like, I don't want to go to any of this 101 shit. Like, <laughs> I've covered the 101 for the shit that I'm into, and, mm. like, there's there's only a few 101 things that really interest me, but then I see weird advanced things, and they show up, and they're like you should have been to a 101 class for this. And I'm like, ah, yes, it, you see, now that you say that, <laughs> it's it's looking a lot more fascinating, but it was at 10 a.m. and uh, we're at noon, so I guess I'm learning this. <laughs> um, so we didn't want to, uh, by extension, force you all to have that same experience uh, and figured it might make sense to talk about actually some of, like, the 101s and the practicalities, and, like, if you heard all of that shit last week and went, wow, that sounds super cool, how do I actually make that stuff happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can learn that along with me, because I'm actually in that interim where I've learned <laughs> all the cool shit and added a 101 book to my reading list, but mm. I read real slow, so yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> it's, it's a snappy read. Uh, the book I recommended for you... Uh, was Mind Play by Mark Wiseman, which uh, is not perfect, is not exhaustive, um, but pretty much, as far as I can tell, is the best like primer on erotic hypnosis. Like it tells mm-hmm. you what hypnosis is and like how to set up a scene and some stuff you can do, and it gives you some scripts which you're not supposed to read directly from because you know hypnosis, much like sex, benefits from uh, you doing what feels natural to you after a certain you know amount of learning, mm-hmm. um, rather than copycatting things that you <laughs> read or see. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really great book. My partner had me read it um, and do like a book report like very early on in our relationship because it's kind of like you kind of got to read it, I think, if you're getting into erotic hypnosis. I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And I think what's valuable about having scripts like that is being able to just kind of see an outline of like what's going to happen and what mm-hmm. it can look like because yeah. it's really hard to improv something you've never seen happen before. Yeah. Um and this is I mean like any sort of sex and kink things it's not something that necessarily happens uh out in the world too much but 
For some other stuff, uh, like Impact, we have an idea of what that might look like. And maybe you go to an event and you see a demo somewhere, or you see something happening in, like, your local dungeon, or you see a needle play scene in the corner or whatever, and they're all, like, they're all really physical things that you can uh, kind of connect with and extrapolate what that experience looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot harder to do something like a hypno-demo, unless we're talking, like, stage magic. Yeah. Because it's so in someone's head and Mm -hmm. also so verbal. And I imagine, like, projecting to an audience is not the most (laughs) hypnotic tone of voice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's possible. Like, when we were at that hypno event the other week, like, it was very loud in that room, and, Mm -hmm. like, there were requests that people doing demos should speak louder, and it was kind of this tension of, like... Yeah, we should project, but also a hypno voice is like kind of by necessity often like softer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all that to say, like Mark Wiseman, his book is is quite good. Um, there's there's a lot of other stuff out there. One of the things I like about Wiseman's book is that there's a lot of emphasis on like consent and safety, which like a lot of other erotic hypnosis materials are dicey in that regard like hypnosis Mm. has been co-opted by like the pickup artist community and uh a bunch of other places that like may or may not be reputable sources to learn stuff uh about this um so i like wiseman there's also a sleeping girl who i was talking about last week and dj pinchin and mr dream um they're all uh really great educators on this topic Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and I think, I mean, a lot of the fantasy of it is fantasies of control, which is, I think, part of what draws us into it, but it also, uh, that fantasy is a great sell for people who want to play with that in less than consensual ways, Uh, so I think it's really important that you're finding uh, really good resources to kind of base your knowledge in. Yeah. Um, And I'm curious, so since it is so hard to kind of get eyes on on what a typical hypno scene looks like outside of, you know, magic magic shows and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious if you can kind of take us through, like, is it going to have a similar outs- outline to a more physical impact scene? Are there, mm-hmm. are there different steps? Like, what what are the key points we want to uh, look for in a hypno scene? What's going to happen? Yeah, well, so I should say off the bat, like, everything I'm going to say on this episode is based on, like, my experiences and things that I've read mm-hmm. um, and things that I've learned. And I'm not an expert. I'm not, uh, like, a trained hypnotherapist like some <laughs> of these people are. Like, Wiseman is, uh, in his vanilla life, is a hypnotherapist. And so, like, mm-hmm. he knows a lot of stuff. Um, I'm just going to speak from, like, what I know, which may or may not be right. But mm-hmm. uh, based on my understanding, like, usually the structure of a hypno scene is it's sort of similar to any kink scene in that there's, like, negotiation, right. the scene, and then aftercare. But there's just different stuff involved. So in the negotiation... Um, first of all, there's often something that's called pre-talk, which is where you sort of try to um, establish and instill like confidence in your ability to induce trance in someone. And often okay. that involves like explaining to them ways that they may have felt a trance-like state before. So if they have no frame of reference for what trance is, then I might mm. say like, you know, when you're like driving and um, you kind of, like, arrive at your destination but don't remember all the steps you took to get there. Like, Mm -hmm. it kind of is just, like, your mind is blurred. Um, Or, you know, when you get, like, really, really into, like, a 
thing you're writing or a thing you're watching and your mind kind of like goes somewhere else. It's sort of like that. It's like a flow state type mm-hmm. of thing. So if you can like give them some frame of reference, that will make it easier later for them to go into trance because they sort of, if, if you've never felt it before, you think you've never felt it before, it's much harder to find it. So that's, that's really interesting because for me, that seems almost like a parallel to the way I'm, I'm just going to keep bringing this back to impact because that's a really, <laughs> I think, relatable thing that we can all kind of touch on. But the way mm-hmm. that you would warm up and get the skin nice and pink before mm-hmm. you start really hitting it, you're almost like getting the brain to recall these ideas, mm-hmm. these feelings that it knows and getting it used to the idea that this might, this is going to happen again soon. Yeah. And I think... Uh, It's interesting, I was just having a conversation recently about ADHD stuff, and one of the things we struggle in is task switching, and how, for me, I'll often need to know, okay, I'm going to be eating in, like, an hour and a half, two hours, and this is what I'm going to eat. And I just need to give my brain time to just sit with that idea (laughs) and get used to it before it's able to accept that, oh, we need to go do that now. Yeah. Like, it can't can't be... a surprise or sprung on me. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's almost what you're doing through this kind of negotiation. You're learning about them, but also just like tip, tapping the brain on the shoulder and being like, hey, in a little while, remember this feeling? In a little while, you're going to feel it again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like a lot of hypnosis, like there's a, there's a common phrase that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, which has mm-hmm. been sort of like critiqued. But the basic idea there is that you do need to uh, be on board for the experience, uh, even if someone else is doing it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, like you need to be receptive to it and open to it to a certain extent and so this kind of like helps with that and like one of the things I was rereading parts of mind play today to refresh my memory on it and there's like in this section of the book about pre-talk and negotiation he says you should say things like once I put you in trance or like when you're under for me xyz as opposed to like if you let me put you in trance or like if you manage to do it because that's like not instilling confidence and like part Mm -hmm. of someone's ability to go into trance is going to be do they believe it's real? Do they believe it's possible for them? Mm-hmm. So then you do like a negotiation, pretty standard like kink style negotiation the times that I've done it. Um, so, you know, if you've already done stuff with someone multiple times, you may not need to do the, the same extent of a negotiation, but it'll be stuff like, you know, what do you want to feel when you're under? And like, what are the logistics of that? Um, and what would that mean for you? Um, if you have been in trance before, like, are there particular ways that you like to be brought into trance and ways that you know don't really work as well for you? Um, what does your body do when you're in trance? Do you, like, tend to flop over? Like, do you need physical support of some kind? Um, you want to negotiate, like, touching? Like, is touching okay? And if so, where? And, like, a lot of times, even if you don't think you're going to need to touch someone for a hypnocene, it's still good to negotiate it because you don't know if someone's going to be like flopping all over the place or mm-hmm. whatever. So you want to at least like have some sense of how much you can touch them and where, um, and then talk about like safe words. Um, so me and my partner use red, yellow, green for like most things, including hypno, but we also have a, an extra safe word for hypno, which is purple, mm-hmm. which is um, like, I need to, tell you something or I need to say something to you, uh, can you take me out of trance so that I can talk to you? Mm. And usually when we've done that, it's just been like, 
you know, my neck is hurting or like the cat's scratching at the door and I need to let her out or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's a good thing to have. Um, so yeah, pretty standard negotiation. Yeah. So you'll, the use of that, so you'll have moments where you can recognize that there's something that you need to communicate, but it, it, it maybe doesn't feel like the right context to say it in, or do you feel like physically unable to say it when you're in trance? Like, um, yeah. So I find that like a lot of people who have not experienced hypnosis think that you're unaware of what's going on when you're in trance, which has Mm -hmm. not been my experience of it at all. Um, it's like if someone was talking to you while you were very, very, very sleepy and like falling asleep and you had your eyes closed, like you're still aware of that. You can still process at least some of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You probably will still remember it later. Um, at least if someone jogs your memory, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm like aware of what's going on, but oftentimes if I'm in trance, my brain feels very slowed down and like my mouth might also feel slowed down accordingly so um i might not be able to get out a sentence or at least not in a way that my partner's going to be able to comprehend okay yeah like i did a scene earlier today where i was like trying to communicate that my head hurt and i basically was like and my partner who is a genius was like your head hurts okay well you (laughs) took pain pills a while ago so that'll go away soon (laughs) that's that's like when like literal infants are babbling and the mom yes. is having a full conversation and you're like, you're gleaning information from that? <laughs> like, you're yes. not entirely sure if they're just playing the game or if the child is actually communicating with them. You're like, wow. I think infant is a little young. I don't know. Baby things. Children. Yeah, yeah. Someone asked me a question recently about like, how old should kids be when we're talking about them? I'm like, I don't, I don't know what ages look like. Uh, it's it's been they're all vaguely small until they're old enough to have conversations with me like Mm. those that's kind of i have like baby that can't talk child that i can like kind of talk to and then like grown-ass person that i can have in-depth conversations those are the three ages that's all i know yeah my favorite age to hang out with a kid at is age three because i feel like that's like the youngest age at which they can have a conversation with you that actually somewhat makes sense mm-hmm. and can understand what you're saying to them. So mm-hmm. it's delightful. But yeah, it, it I, is kind of like when someone is in trance, you do kind of have to think of it as like talking to a child or talking to a very drunk person or, you know, something like that. And what's interesting is that's how that's very reminiscent to how I just experience subspace. Mm-hmm. Um Because I will also have those moments where I feel like I have a thing that I need to say, but the thought of initiating conversation... Yeah. Um, feels like a step from one brain state into another. Yeah. Like, I can respond to conversation, but the thought of, like, initiating it is just monumental. My brain cannot shift <laughs> into that concept. It just does not feel familiar at all. Yeah. So one common workaround for this in hypno is, uh, as you're putting someone in trance or after you have them in trance, you can tell them that they can or should like make minor adjustments to their body positioning so that they stay comfortable Mm. um because even just like telling someone that they can do that will make it much easier for them to naturally do that and that becomes necessary in trance like if you're like sitting in a chair and your neck is like slumped over like that's not going to be comfortable for very long or you know whatever the situation is so that's that's a good practice Mm -hmm. to do 
And while you're negotiating these things and kind of deciding an outline for like what your scene might look like, Mm -hmm. it seems like you're also like setting a lot of stuff up. Like often in negotiation, I'll not be deceptive, but I will put teasers and like foreshadow things that'll happen but also sometimes i'll drop in red herrings or something because i want the experience to be a surprise so you know of these seven things what are you okay with and what aren't you and we'll go from there yeah this seems like it's more you want to be uh more explicit during the negotiation because you're that foreshadowing is what helps to make it more possible later on and it might make more sense to be a little more explicit about what's happening do those surprises still work or um i mean yeah like i i'm often surprised by uh how much a thing that happens in trance feels unexpected even if i literally was expecting it (laughs) um but i think like it's it's much like kink in any setting in that uh, if you know someone well and if you've played with them a bunch of times, you can more easily and more safely surprise right. them with things. Like, my partner usually before a trans scene will just ask me, what kind of thing do you want to feel? Mm-hmm. Or is there anything in particular you want? And sometimes there's not. And I just say, I don't know. I trust you. Um, mm-hmm. Which is not helpful as a bottom. But <laughs> um, but when I've gone to hypno events and I see people negotiating scenes with people they just met or like don't often play with, it is often more explicit. It's like, mm-hmm. here's how I'm going to induce trance and like, here's what I'm going to do at that point, And like, here's what we will do after, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is safer and makes more sense right. in that scenario. Right. Absolutely. Um, and when you are talking with someone who you maybe don't have as much of a rapport with, mm-hmm. um, there's, I'll often ask like, safety questions or really open-ended questions to hear someone's approach to whatever kink we're about to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any suggestions you have for, like, vetting hypnotops? Like, what kind of... Like, for me, if I'm playing with someone brand new and they say, I don't know, whatever, I'm into everything, Mm -hmm. that is a huge warning sign for me because I'm like, you haven't done the work to figure out where your limits are. Um, Are there any more hypno-specific kind of red flags or things that you should ask about if you're playing with someone that you don't super know to get like a feel for how they might approach this yeah i think again it's like pretty similar to how you would vet tops or doms in another situation which is like if they're like driving the conversation and they're like basically here's what i want to do here's what i would like you to do let's do it like that's obviously Mm -hmm. not great um a good top is going to be someone who wants to know things about you wants to customize their approach to what you want Mm -hmm. and how your brain works um i like for all kinds of tops and doms i like a couple of questions um one is how do you ensure ongoing consent during a scene Mm um because like, even if their approach to that is not necessarily compatible with mine, like, my their answer is going to tell me a lot of information about mm-hmm. whether they even prioritize that, whether it's something they think about, um, and the tools that they like to use for that. Um, and the second one I like to ask is, like, tell me about a time or a few times when, like, someone has safe worded who you've been playing with and, like, mm. what happened and how did you deal with it? Because, again, like that's going to give you a lot of information. I find that, like, shitty tops sometimes will be like, oh, no one would ever safe word with me. Like, and I'm like, well... (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the kind of attitude that ensures that. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. And therein lies the problem, my friend. Yeah. 
I think, like, uh, in terms of hypno-specific things, like, in my experience, a lot of hypnotops are really into and, like, turned on by uh, the uniqueness of particular brains. Like, they want to know, like, what inductions work for you, all of, like, what particular things are you wanting or that don't work for you or whatever. And that, to me, is, like, a big, like, green flag. Green flag? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think that makes sense. It seems like... um, it, It seems like that kind of curiosity is not only very helpful, but is the kind of thing that draws people to this. Yeah, um, because just like anything else in kink, there's going to be different types of tops and different types of bottoms, as well as switches, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to find people who, like, match well with you. Although you can also have, like, really fun experiences sometimes playing with people whose approach is really different from yours, just to, like, you know, mix things up sometimes. Right. Um, Okay, so we've had, like, kind of our negotiation, and we're, you know, you've said all of this, like, hypno foreplay, whatever. (laughs) Um, Literally the only context I like the word foreplay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we've kind of moved into, like, all right, we're starting a scene. How, Mm -hmm. like, what does the beginning of this look like? Yeah, so the way that you get someone into trance is called an induction, as in to induce. Um, and in mind play, Wiseman basically groups them into four categories. I think basically like there are infinite varieties of inductions because people's brains are different. Just like there's infinite ways to turn someone on, right? Right. Like there's, there's no limit, but he basically groups them into four categories, which are relaxation, fixation, confusion, and rapid or instant induction. Um, So relaxation is one that you might be familiar with if you've, like, done hypnotherapy. I gather that it's pretty common there. It's, like, for example, they might, like, talk through, like, every part of your body and get you to individually relax every part of your body all the way down. yeah, I've done shit like that. Yeah, and and what that does is it helps you get into a relaxed space, but it also gets you used to – listening to and following instructions so Mm -hmm. that as you get into uh, instructions that are more like hypnotic, like start to relax your mind, start to let your mind go blank, that kind of thing, you're already used to listening to and following those. So Kind of like that marketing thing where you ask someone a bunch of questions they can say yes to, and then they just keep saying yes. Exactly. That, I mean, that's considered... $500? That's that. <laughs> yeah, some people consider that a form of covert hypnosis. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so it's it's sort of like that. Uh, Wiseman is very anti-relaxation re- inductions in his book. He says that it's like the most boring, long-winded way of putting someone in trance. Um, I think that's like, that's fine if that's his preference. I think that's a reductive take on it because like I've sometimes found relaxation inductions helpful if like my goal was to relax and like sometimes hypnoscenes, that is kind of my goal. Like I want to mentally go away for a while you know, unwind, all of that. And um, the only issue with this one for me is, like, if I'm sleepy, I probably will fall asleep. Mm. Um, So if we're trying to do hypno stuff and I'm sleepy, we'll take a different approach. Um, Because this is just going to literally make me fall asleep and it's not the most fun. (laughs) Uh, So the second type is fixation. This is probably my favorite one. This works really well for me. Um, It's just, like, you get someone to focus 
all of their attention or as much as possible on one thing. And a lot of times, like, in movies, we see, like, uh, visual fixation induction. So, like, a pocket watch swinging back and forth or a pendulum or stare deeply into my eyes or, like, you have Jafar in Aladdin, like, having this, like, staff that lights up and he makes people stare at it. Um, The interesting thing with visual fixation inductions is, like, your eyes will start to get tired after a while of Mm -hmm. staring at something, especially if you're staring at something, like, above um, your eye line or something that's swinging back and forth so that that eye fatigue kind of contributes to what already naturally happens when you go into trance, which is, like, your eyes start to flutter. Um, And so it's kind of like your body notices that your eyes are getting tired, but kind of your brain, like, assumes that it's, like, a trance thing. So you kind Mm. of, like convince yourself that you're going into trance so you kind of create the symptoms of trance through other methods exactly and your body is like oh i feel like i'm in trance so i guess i'm in trance (laughs) uh yeah 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 that that makes a lot of sense and i i assume you kind of like feel that moment where your eyes kind of shift to that soft focus and it's all just kind of fuzzy and like that kind of exactly yeah okay yeah and you can do fixation on things that are not visual like there's a school of thought in hypnosis that different people have different modalities so some people respond best to visual some people auditory some people kinesthetic other various things um so for example if my partner was like holding me in bed and started like stroking my arm up and down rhythmically they could have me focus all my attention on that like i wouldn't need to have my eyes open or i could have them open it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um Or you can have someone focus on a sound or even like a visual image that they conjure in their own mind, like anything that you can make them focus on, like with all their attention so that everything else sort of fades away um, can work for this. And I I really like this as both a top and a bottom. I really like this type of induction. I feel like it's it's simple. And for me, it's really effective. Yeah. And I feel like it like. I don't know. Maybe this is also me just thinking about my ADHD brain, but it it feels almost like boredom fatigue. Like, you will Mm. find this thing interesting, and my brain's like, no, I won't. No, I won't. It's fine. And then it just stops. It's just like, fine. There's nothing. If this is all you're going to let me look at, I just give up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a lot of the inductions, like, a lot of styles of induction do feel like there is eventually a point of giving up. (laughs) Your brain just being like, fine whatever (laughs) yeah yeah like and that's even like often worked into hypnotic patter is Mm -hmm. if you're making someone look at like i i like to top with like this sparkly heart necklace that i have that i just swing back and forth yeah it's very it's very femme shit um but but you might start to say to them like your your eyelids are fluttering it's getting like much harder to keep your eyes open um and in a little while like you might feel like you just want to give up but just like fight against it a little bit more and like maybe in five seconds you can let your eyelids drop so it's like you create the sense of wanting to give up and then giving up brings the person into trance essentially Mm. and what i found interesting there is that you said like but not you'll feel like you want to but not yet is there Mm. like is there a benefit to kind of extending this induction process or are you just like creating the idea that they want to do it now and being like but you can in a little while so their brain has time Mm. to get used to feeling like they have to do it yeah uh well some people think that if you resist trance it makes it it makes you go deeper when you eventually do give into it for me that's more like brain 
teasing foreplay, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like when someone is making out with you while trying to get you turned on and they're like touching your thighs, but not your bits and, mm. you know, getting closer and then moving farther away. It's like, to me, that's kind of what it feels like. Mm. Um, okay. We got a suggestion at the hypno event I was at last that was like resisting trance. And mm. me and my partner did that scene. And afterward, they asked me like what I thought. I was like, I could have resisted for longer. I would have enjoyed actually doing that. So, yeah, that's fun. I was reading um, in Mind Play, like, Wiseman talks about how some bottoms really like the process of, like, slowly being brought into trance and others just want you to, quote, take them, Mm -hmm. um, like, shove them into it. So it's like, it depends on, you know, who you're playing with. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is that you're talking about being able to resist trance, but Mm -hmm. earlier we talked about how you have to believe you can. Yeah. So I think finding that middle place where you're, where part of you, either you have the experience that you know, or at least believe that this person will eventually win. Mm-hmm. Um, but how long until they do? Yeah. Um, but also like feeling like you can fight it or whatever, which is actually a really fun headspace, I think, for a lot of kink scenes. Yeah. Well, is that like, eventually I want you to win, but I don't want to make it easy. <laughs> It's also like a phrasing thing because if you say to someone like for example there's there's a thing that you can do when someone is like in a light trance where you say like um I want you to try to open your eyes like just to prove to yourself that like your eye muscles are so relaxed that you actually can't open them. Mm-hmm. And so of course if I'm saying try to do something that implies that you're going to fail or right. at least that you could fail. Right. Um And another thing is, like, Wiseman has this induction in his book where he's, one of the things he says toward the beginning is, like, we both know that you could resist if you wanted to, but, like, that's not why we're here. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, Um, So the third, the third type of induction, I actually think you would like this one the most, um, is a confusion induction. mm -hmm. And it's usually recommended the most for people whose brains are, like, really you know going like like very analytical types or overthinking types Mm -hmm. of people because basically what it tries to do is to like confuse the brain or overload the brain so that as you said it just gives up it just storms out of the room and is like fuck this you handle it yes exactly so like (laughs) figure it out i'll come back when we have an answer right so an example is if you tell someone um i want you to count down from a hundred Except I want you to do it by subtracting seven, adding two, subtracting seven, adding two, all the way down. And then while they're doing that out loud, you can kind of talk to them like getting very sleepy now, getting more relaxed. It's getting harder to do this. Like your mind doesn't really want to be doing this anymore, does it? And then eventually either they might drop into trance or you might kind of push them by saying like sleep like or like mm-hmm. let it go. Um, and then another one that my partner does for me that's a confusion induction which I really like, especially on anxiety days, is they'll be like, I want you to focus really hard on what the air in the room feels like. And they'll spend some time describing, like, you know, how it feels on your skin, the air, and they're like, what does it feel like to breathe it, blah, blah, blah. Think about that for a while. And then they'll be like, and I want you to also focus on, like, the sound of my voice. Like, is it, like, rich? Is it deep? Is it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll go through, like, a number of things telling me to 
like concentrate on all of those things at once. So it might be mm-hmm. like the air, my voice, the way your body feels, the way the bed feels underneath you, um, any sounds in the room, like just a lot of things so that I'm trying to keep those all in my mind, but you can't really concentrate that deeply on that many things. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, again, like I'll drop into trance or they can tell me to do that. Um, and the brain just kind of gives up. And so when you were talking about this, what kept coming to my mind was, again, retail in me, um, <laughs> a uh, really common scam that you need to look out for is people who will come in and say that, you know, they need you to make change or something and will constantly change the math. Can you make change of this 20? I need two tens. Actually, can I have a 10 and two fives? Actually, you know, <laughs> can I have a five, two, two ones? And, and they will keep going and they'll walk out with more money than they walked in with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... While they're doing it, they're also having, like, really casual conversation with you. And you know what? Actually, can we change it to this other thing? And just having you focus on these, like, multiple things at once. Would something like that be, like, too fast-paced to work for that? Or... Because it's also a very high-energy conversation. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really experimented much with what's called a waking trance. Mm. But that's often what's being used by, like... um, scammers or pickup artists if they are using some kind of covert hypnosis right like i saw this louis theroux special from like a decade or two ago about like a a a pickup artist basically before pickup artists were a thing who uses uh covert hypnosis and and i was watching his technique and he did the thing that you talked about earlier where he goes like did you have a good like after hanging out with a woman? I think he says like, did you have a good time today? Mm-hmm. Did um did you enjoy the places we went? Did you he like asks a series right. of questions and then some of them eventually after a while are like, are you gonna call me? Are you gonna take my number? Are you gonna call me? Are you gonna remember me? Like, right. um, this kind of thing. So that's I guess an example of like a waking trance, um, because you're not your eyes don't close, you don't feel, um like deeply entranced the way that like I'm describing, but mm. uh, it still, I think is a type of trance. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder if like getting someone into that, like susceptible waking trance state, you could buy one of these like more shovey inductions, mm-hmm. like go from this very high energy place to be like, and you're done, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think could be fun for me. Cause a big part of uh, the scene stuff that I find fascinating is being outsmarted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think something like that could get me into that feeling because that's the reason I, I like we talked about this last time. The reason I didn't go to hypno automatically is like the idea of like mindlessness trance. Yeah. Being outsmarted in that way isn't particularly interesting to me as a bottom. But mm-hmm. I think coming into it from that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the the final type that Wiseman identifies of inductions is like a rapid induction or an instant induction, which are like the really showy, fast ones that you'll see at like a stage. Hip- oh, <laughs> I hit your cat in the head. I'm sorry. She's um, mad because I had to move my leg, but it is very asleep because she's been <laughs> on it this entire recording. So the, you'll see these at stage hypnosis shows. Uh, maybe the most common one is called a handshake induction. And what they do is they'll, like, like Darren Brown does it. I don't know if you know Darren Brown. He's, like, British. He was on Sherlock. Yeah. Um, he's a mentalist and a hypnotist. So he'll he'll extend his hand to someone and say, it's nice to meet you, I'm Darren. And they go for the handshake, which everybody, almost everybody automatically goes along with a handshake because it's just, like, really drilled into us. Right. But then what he does is, 
while the handshake is going on, he does something unexpected. So the most common one is he pulls their hand so that they pull toward him. Mm -hmm. And what happens when someone does what is called a pattern interrupt, which is basically what that is, like they're interrupting a thing that you expected to go a certain way and it it doesn't, Mm -hmm. um, is the brain goes into this thing that's called the trans-derivational search, which lasts like half a second. And in that half a second, your brain is like, what the fuck? It's trying to figure out what's happening. And so it'll take a uh, brief, short, clear instruction really well at that moment, which usually is sleep. Like, just say it really authoritatively. Um, and it's amazing how often this works. Like, mm-hmm. it's really impressive to see. And then immediately after they say sleep, they have to keep talking, like patter, like dropping deeper, like getting relaxed, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's really incredible how well this works. There's there's one in Wiseman's book where he... He says, like, he puts out his hand and has the person, like, press down their hand on top of his. And, mm-hmm. like, and he presses upward and he says, press as hard as you can. Um, and then eventually he, like, unexpectedly, like, takes his hand away. And then that produces the, like, trans-derivational search. And he says, sleep. And then the thing with this is, like, you have to be prepared to catch them <laughs> because yeah. they might, like, fall over. Especially because, like, the handshake one in particular is often done standing up. Right. So you have to, like, reach out and kind of grab them because <laughs> they'll, they'll collapse usually. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I mean, again, I keep bringing it back to this like ADHD stuff because that's what's in my brain right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious how related that is um, to that liminal space that ADHD brains have with task switching, mm-hmm. where it's we finish a task. And because I've like felt something that feels like my brain going, what now? And it's just like you're floating in space and there are a million post-its of things that you could grab at any given moment because you're like, I've made it to the end of the list and I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see how a brain like trying to juggle through what next yeah. um, could like one clear thing could cut through all of that and just be like, yeah, okay, sure. That one works. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like as a DS kingster, like I find this concept very interesting because it's like a space where I almost can't control my compliance to the order being given. I mean, right. with all of this, there is a certain amount of like resistance that can happen. Like people are very worried that hypnosis will make them do things that they don't want to do. And um, hypno kingsters will sometimes say you can't be made to do anything you don't want to do, which actually isn't completely true. Like you can certainly be swayed in this. You can be coerced in any. Exactly. Like Like, if I'm in subspace and someone tells me to do something I don't entirely want to do, often I'll do it. And same thing with trance. Like it's just kink is itself a heightened state oftentimes and and your brain will do weird shit and you might not always do stuff that is like aligned with what you would do in a regular situation which is why like negotiation and consent and playing with good people is important right right well yeah and i think part of that too is i mean with this person who does this all the time but in general like there is a degree of trust that has to come with that voice that your brain goes ah yes that we can trust that sure yes. <laughs> yes. um and in you know in the case of these professionals there is a, a you know a confidence that comes with i have done this a million times that i'm yeah. sure your brain can recognize yeah. but i think in a lot of instances that kind a big part of the hypnotist's power comes in the degree that your brain has built in trust for them. Yeah. And I'm sure that you can do a lot more with someone you've played with a lot more 
um, in a way that may not be true for uh, some other kinks, where, like, it may be smarter to wait until you know someone really (laughs) well to get hit with that really mean thing, but that doesn't mean you have to. Yeah. Whereas I think hypno, (laughs) kind of that built-in trust is part of what makes it work, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's very important. And to your point about, like, uh, receptivity in general a second ago, I forget what you said, but Mm. it reminded me there was, when I went to see Darren Brown's show on Broadway recently, he did a really cool thing where he actually filtered out the people who were going to be the most, like, suggestible or amenable to, you know, a rapid induction or whatever um, by, there was this, <laughs> it was a really cool thing. He he was, like, in the middle of the show, just randomly was like, I'm going to show a video. And after the video is done, some of you, a very small percentage of you, are going to feel intensely compelled to stand up. So, like, take things off your lap, you know, get ready because that might happen and you don't know if it's going to happen or not. So then he plays a video, which is like a short, weird video. Didn't really make any sense. It was like abstract and random and weird. Didn't contain, I don't think, any hypnotic stuff, really. It was just a video. (laughs) But then he like, then after the video played, he like stood there and waited and watched in silence while... Uh, while, like, we waited to see who was going to stand up. And it's not that anything in the video forced them to stand up. It's that he primed them by saying, some of you will feel a very intense feeling that you need to stand up. And it's like, if you're primed for that and you're suggestible, you might feel that or you might think you feel that and go, I think that's what that is, and then stand up. So then he, from those people, picked which people he was going to bring up to do hypnotic stuff. And you, like... You've also been doing this all day. You've been thinking, I'm going to go to the show tonight and maybe I'll get hypnotized. I bet you he'll do stuff to the audience. (gasps) What if he does stuff to me? Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, And you're you're doing half the work for him ever since you bought the ticket. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's it's really very, very weird the way that like your own brain helps like prepare you to do it because like a lot of people think it's all about what the hypnotist is going to do and it's all about their skill and like certainly that is a big component of it but I think a lot of people don't understand how much they themselves are doing yeah I mean I feel like like many kinks the the topping is just knowing the library of tools and being able to tell which ones work on the right person you know which ones work on this person um so do you ever have I feel like I would get caught up particularly in that relaxation induction, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe in some of the others. I have the kind of brain that might sit there and go, so am I in trance yet? Am I here yet? Did Mm. I do it yet? Am I sleepy yet? I think really, really common. Yeah. But not that sleepy. So like, (laughs) does that ever happen? How do you know? And as a top, how do you know? Like, do they, do they always just like fall out of the chair? (laughs) Like, you're like, oh, well, did it. Thump. No. Um, yeah. So, an interesting thing about trance is that most people, like, seem to think they know what it's going to feel like or what it should feel like. And so if they have an experience with it that doesn't match up with that, they might assume that it didn't work, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, makes it less likely to work. Right. Um, so I've found it helpful to talk to both tops and bottoms who say that, like, trance m- might feel different from how you expect it to feel and basically, like... Uh, experience what you're experiencing and don't try to experience some other thing that you think it should be like. Um, like my uh, initial thoughts about trans, I, I assumed that I would go completely mentally blank 
Um, I assumed I wouldn't be able to move. You know, I had all these weird assumptions, but it was actually more like the like about to fall asleep feeling that I was describing earlier. Like Mm -hmm. it's like a warm, soft, my eyes are closed, my brain is slowed down. Um, but I'm still there. I'm still like processing things and stuff. Um, so, I mean, a lot of tops like to set this up in their inductions or in their pre-talk, like it might feel different than what you're expecting, but like, just go with it. Um, whatever you're feeling is right. Uh, there's a concept that Milton Erickson, one of the pioneers of hypnotherapy talks about called utilization, Mm -hmm. which is where you use what is already happening as proof or to further the, the trans experience. So like, if I noticed that you were like um, sloping over in your chair a little bit, I might be like, yeah, I see that you're like falling to the side a little bit. That just means you're getting deeper into trance, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if I see your eyes fluttering or like literally anything, you could just be like, that means you're going into (laughs) trance. And like that actually does make it work better. I see you wore a red shirt today. People in red shirts are particularly (laughs) susceptible to trance. Right. If you decided that in advance, did you know you're going to get trance today? Yeah. Just give your brain reasons to believe it's true and your brain will just be like, sure, sounds right. (laughs) Because the thing about that's so great. If you said that to someone who was wearing a red shirt and it was in sort of a light trance, their brain would kind of, their conscious mind would kind of go, wait, that doesn't really make sense. Like red shirts, tra- there's no actual <laughs> connection between those two. But so the mental effort they're expending thinking about that and trying to figure that out actually makes it easier for you to take them into trance because mm-hmm. they're kind of, their conscious mind is busied. So their subconscious mind is kind of like more attuned. Kind of like a mental fidget. Yeah. I talk about, I've done that with like, why I'll listen to a show that I've already seen a million times just because it takes a little piece of my brain and puts it over there and lets it yeah. listen to this and be quiet yeah. so that the rest of me can, like, focus on something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I, th- I think my partner said something to me at one point, like, good girls find it very easy to go into trance or whatever. And I was kind of just, like, pondering that, like, is that true? Like, I don't know if that's really true. But then it just, you know, made it easier. Your brain's just like, not all good girls. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because those things actually aren't, like, you can be a very good submissive and not have trance skills, right? Like, or vice versa, so. (laughs) You're like, I am philosophically opposed to this idea (laughs) on the premise. They're all good girls are good girls. Thank you very much. Um. (laughs) Good girls are valid. But so can I just wrap up uh, yeah. the scene structure a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, oftentimes after the induction, you might do what's called a deepener, which mm-hmm. is just an exercise to deepen trance. Um, my favorite is called fractionation, which is where a hypnotist takes you out of trance, puts you back in, takes you out, puts you back in um, as many times as you want. Um, and it kind of deepens it every time. And I like that because, first of all, it keeps me more alert, which is good if I'm sleepy, which I frequently am. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, it feels like my brain's getting fucked. It really kind of (laughs) feels like that. It's really cool. It's really dynamic. Um, Feeling the stark difference between those two states kind of helps, like, further convince me of the reality of what's happening, which makes it more effective. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's fun. Other deepeners, like, counting down from 100 or whatever stuff like that so this is like the moment between like okay you are in this floaty spacey trancey thing and we're bringing you we want to intensify it to whatever degree um so with this fractionation are Mm -hmm. you 
coming out and like is it like a light switch going going out and back in or do we have to like go through this whole relaxation process again the next time we bring you in no and like how long are you spending out like what are you doing when you're out it, it really yeah it really depends okay. um if you're just using it as a deepener usually what my partner does is they tell me before they bring me out um that like for example a snap will wake you up and the word like sleepy girl or whatever will will put you back down so even just like setting up those instructions makes it easier for that to happen um we used to do open closed which Mm -hmm. like works great those are quick those are easy to understand um sleepy girl has become my trance trigger which just means that like if they say it to me in just like a random everyday situation i'll kind of usually go into a light trance uh automatically we've also set that up with spots on my wrist that they can press um that do that um but so yeah usually in fractionation like you can like take someone out and like talk to them for a bit they'll kind of be in like a waking trance it's kind of like they don't in my experience they don't completely come out of it they're kind of like a little bit like spacey which is for a lot of people the point of doing this to to create that uh feeling you're kind of like off kilter um suggestible and is that so when you're bringing them out into this like off kiltery space, are they there because they know they're going to be going back in, and because like it's this interim, or do you bring them out in a different way than you would at the end of a scene? That's a very astute question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you're bringing them out with the intent to keep them out of trance, like you're going to play with some suggestions you just set up, which I'll mm-hmm. talk, I guess, about suggestions if we have time. This might uh, be a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, so it, a long one. if you're bringing them out either because it's the end of the scene or uh, you want to play with them while they're awake for a bit, typically you will do that more slowly. So instead Mm. of just saying like, open, um, you might be like, I'm going to count to five. And when I get to five, you you will be awake, alert, and ready to play, like whatever. Like a cool down. Yes. Um, Which is more gradual. It's less disorienting. And I find that if I'm being fractionated, so I'm like in and out really fast, when I come up, sometimes I'll just automatically start to drop back down. Like I I can try to fight against it, but I feel like I'm being dragged back down into trance. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I do it more slowly like this, that is like mitigated somewhat. Mm -hmm. So like back to kind of how I was talking about your brain, your brain is still in the mood to be in the trance and hasn't had time to get used to the idea of being awake again. So it's just like, yeah, I wasn't done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like how at the end of a heavy impact scene or whatever like you're still going to be subspacey for a while you can't just you know snap out of it um which is why you need aftercare um and hypno aftercare is really interesting because it has to be more like mentally based i mean uh, you can still do physical stuff like cuddling and and chocolate and water and whatever you want to do but um when i interviewed wiseman I asked him about hypno aftercare and he said he likes to ask people questions that engage their rational minds. Mm. Um, so the example he gave was he was at a hypno convention and he saw a guy like wandering through the halls who clearly was like really out of it. And he stopped the guy as like a volunteer at the, at the con. And he said, do you think that this year's con is like better than last year's con? Which one did you like better? Mm-hmm. And the guy, you know, then has to think about that and compare and contrast and have some rational, logical thoughts. <laughs> and so like, maybe that helps with that. Yeah. It seems a little bit grounding yeah. and a little bit like, 
you have to not only think about it, but also find a way to communicate that information to the outside world. Yeah. Um, and I have very distinct states between being in my inside world and being in my outside world. Because <laughs> in my inside world, we speak one language, but I have to translate it <laughs> uh, to communicate to someone else, which is a part of why I often say, like, I, I think out loud and I need to verbalize things before I can uh, make sense of them. Yeah. So you mentioned suggestions a little bit earlier, and I want to take some time to talk about what happens actually in these hypnoscenes, right? Like, we've talked about how you get in there, mm-hmm. um, but what what do you do? Like, I've got someone hypnotized in front of me. What do I do with them? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I should say um, trance itself can be a scene, mm-hmm. um, especially for people who fetishize trance or, or um, inductions or... Just, you know, my partner finds it hot to just, like, look at me in trance. Um, Mm. But uh, if you want to do stuff with it, that is also fun. Um, And that's where my enjoyment usually is. So you can do, like, a lot of things. Um, It it really depends on, like, the subject's, uh, like, their ability to concentrate and imagine in order to conjure. Because, like, basically, they're trying to conjure, like, sensations within themselves. And so Mm -hmm. it is a thing that requires practice. Like, a lot of people are disappointed when stuff doesn't work for them, like, early on. But it is just like anything else. You do get better at it with practice. Um, So some things that I've done with my partner. Hypno bondage is a fave. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, if I'm lying on my bed and uh, my partner says... Uh, while I'm in trance, like, you can feel that there's, like, cuffs around your wrists and they're, like, rooting your wrists to the bed. And they'll spend some time describing that and what that might feel like. And then similar to the, like, try to open your eyes thing that we were talking about earlier, it might be, like, you might try to move your wrists, but, like, you can't. So, like, why would you bother? Mm -hmm. Um, Just, like, things to, like, reinforce that. Um, I've also seen people do hypnobondage stuff where, like, someone's hand gets stuck to something, like a wall, mm-hmm. uh, like glue. Um, you can, like, turn that on and off with certain trigger words sometimes. Like, I saw Mr. Dream do a demo where just, I think it, every time he said the word stuck, like, his bottom's hand would get stuck wherever it was. Um, so that's cool. It's really fun for bondage stuff. Um, other things I've done, uh, changing sensitivity levels. Um some of the best BJs I've given my partner have been when I, like, turned their dick sensitivity, like, <laughs> way up. Just for funsies, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you can change their arousal levels. Sometimes my partner has me visualize a dial. And it's like, where is that dial set right now? And I'll say, like, a four. And they'll be like, let's turn it up to a seven. Let's just see how mm-hmm. that how that works. Um, so that's cool. Uh, you can, like, move sensations to other areas. Like, I did a scene with my partner where I had them feel like their thigh was their cock. So when they were grinding their thigh against me, it felt like they were fucking me, mm-hmm. which was magic because they, like, actually came, like, with cum and everything. <laughs> the whole shebang. <laughs> with cum and everything. Yeah, well, what I, my point is, like, it wasn't, like, a mental orgasm. Like, it was, right. like, a full, you know. Right. So that was neat. Um, you can change someone's headspace. You can make them feel more submissive or more in love with you. <laughs> Obviously, that would be edgy. Um, right. I've done that with my partner, who I'm very in love with anyway, so that's, like, fun to play with. Um, we did a scene one time where they, I think they were using a dial, and they, like, turned up my romantic love for them, and I just burst into tears for, like, several minutes. <laughs> we were like, I don't know if that was quite what we wanted, but... <laughs> 
But looking back and knowing you, really, how could it have been a surprise? Yeah. <laughs> and my partner's a crying fetishist as well, so like... <coughs> so it wasn't not what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen people do like all kinds of weird shit. It's basically like, if you can dream it, you probably can do it. It's just a matter of... Okay, Walt Disney. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Walt Disney was secretly a hypnofetishist. You heard it here first. Guys. There's Folks. actually so much fucking hypnosis in kids' movies. Oh, like, yeah. I would not be surprised. Um, but uh, it's it's just a matter of figuring out how to phrase something in a way that the person's subconscious mind will understand or that their trancy mind will understand. So, like, for example, I found it doesn't work so well for me if someone just says, you feel mm. happy or you mm -hmm. feel turned on. What works better for me is if my partner describes what those things would feel like in my body and in my brain or has me recall a specific instance of those feelings and mm -hmm. get back into that. So it's like you do have to sometimes be creative and inventive to find a way to access whatever feeling or experience you're trying to create. But if you can figure out how to do that, you can probably get there. Yeah, I th and I think what's interesting there, too, is um, when you say, like, you feel a certain way, like, I, all of your examples so far, uh, for the most part, it, it's right in the name, have been suggestions, mm -hmm. not commands, right? If I'm saying you feel this way, it's so easy for your brain to go, no, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, yeah. you're just wrong. But if you're saying, like, well, what if, or maybe, right. or could you, like, could you imagine this? Could you consider this? Yeah. Could you? And your brain's like, well, I mean, I could think about that, I guess. And well, exactly. I mean, if I think about it for long enough, like, if I, if I sat here and described a nice moist chocolate cake to you, like, that, you know, as really rich and, you know, a little bit warm and it's got buttercream. Like, after a little while, your brain's going to be like, you know, oh, that nice fluffy buttercream frosting and, you know, oh, maybe it's got like a raspberry filling. Your brain's going to be like, yeah. shit, I want some chocolate cake. Like, <laughs> so I think yeah. it's kind of the same idea of just kind of letting you bathe in that idea yes. until your brain just kind of... Yeah. adopts it. These are, these like, are called that does sound fun. <laughs> yeah, these are called indirect suggestions and the reason they work is that they sort of slip under your conscious processing of like are you telling me to do a thing that I don't want to do? Right. Um because if one that I really like a lot is I wonder so if I was like trying to put you in trance and I was doing like an eye fixation thing and I was like, I wonder if um your eyelids are going to fall closed right now or in a few seconds and it's like mm -hmm. If you thought about that consciously and rationally for a sec, you would be like, well, what if they don't at all? But right. because I phrased it that way, it's like, well, those are the options. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it's one of them. Yeah, or I might be like, I wonder what it would feel like if your wrists were glued to the bed. I'm not telling you that they are. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> having you imagine. Just like, hey, like yeah. Wonder. Would that feel exciting or would it feel arousing? Would that feel, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. creating the options that I want to be the options and I'm just not saying the ones that I don't want you to be thinking about. Right. Um, it's like one of those things, I don't know if you've ever had to do this with like, I've done it with like managers or teachers or even, you know, will you, will you let someone think it's their idea? Yes, exactly. And it's, the, and you like, sometimes you know this person, it, I say that because it particularly tends to happen to people in power, mm -hmm. uh, where they will accept their own idea, but not yours. Yeah. Um, so you just, like, ask the right questions, and then they come to the conclusion, they go, and you go, oh my god, that's brilliant! Yeah. 
Um, it seems like you're kind of doing something like that, where you're just letting the brain... It really, it was your brain's idea that your hands were glued to the bed. Yeah. Yeah, it is really cool how well it works. Like, even if you understand that that's what's happening or that that's a tool, like, it mm-hmm. still works surprisingly well in the moment. Um, and I, I use those all the time when I'm topping because that to me is like pretty easy and also fun as like a language nerd like yeah. to construct these weird sentences that like create an effect without ever necessarily directly commanding someone to do something yeah all right so you've created these suggestions and everything it and then you bring them out of trance now I think the way you've talked about this um that's not necessarily the end of the scene right hypno doesn't just exist for the length of the trance. Yeah, so you can do a scene that is entirely in trance, especially if you suggest that they are able to move, speak, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to do that. But oftentimes uh, we do what's called post-hypnotic suggestions, which means that once you bring them out, those suggestions will still be in place, Mm -hmm. which is fun because depending on how you set it up, they may or may not totally realize that they're following suggestions from earlier mm-hmm. um they like it, oftentimes these are like there's a trigger and then there's a response so it might be like every time i call you a little one your arousal will double mm-hmm. and like you might not know why um or like uh you know every time i say simon says do this you'll do it um whatever there's a lot of fun stuff you can do and you can combine that with whatever other type of scene you're doing um and that's cool and then after that like when you're done the scene you can bring them into trance again to uninstall those suggestions like Mm -hmm. just suggest that they are dissipating or they're not uh they don't exist anymore depending on what you've negotiated mm. um or you can also do another thing where you don't bring them back into trance you just set up your suggestions so that like they will only last a particular period of time or only mm-hmm. exist in a particular context um and then if you put them back down then you bring them back out and then you do aftercare mm. now when you're suggesting that like something only exists within a certain space or like you've mentioned a couple of things that like you tend to drop these in in the beginnings of trance stuff as like safety things or you know whatever now is this like i've got a genie and i'm making my three wishes and i have to phrase them perfectly or it like or it'll go you know horribly wrong or is it more like the spirit of the suggestion it depends. Some people I've seen respond to things more literally, and mm-hmm. it is better to err on the side of clarity. Like, right. Wiseman often recommends when you set up a suggestion, you might say, only tonight and only for me. So that, for example, if I happen to be out in the world later that night and someone says, um, Simon says, take your clothes off. Like, it's unlikely that mm-hmm. a random other person would do it, but uh, it is good <laughs> to have that be set up so that it's only like you know sometimes Wiseman says you will drop into trance when this happens only if we are alone together in a safe place or something Mm -hmm. like that um and yeah some people do take those things more literally I know that like with my partner I we have established like a sense of when things will apply and when they will not so like if someone else tried to use one of their triggers like it wouldn't work on me just because like I know Mm -hmm. that that's only like it only works with them so yeah and i noticed like when you mentioned uh that you have the buttons on your wrist that mm-hmm. you pushed them as you said it yeah which doesn't and, which fucking is, do anything yeah unless i 
am quiet and focused and I imagine that it's Matt pushing them, mm-hmm. in which case I sometimes can do it. But uh, it's, yeah, it pretty much only works when they do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it seems like uh, a lot of these kind of caveats are relatively broad. So you might say, like, this will happen if it's safe for you to do that. Or, like, if you feel like you're in a comfortable space to do that or something. Yeah. Which kind of gives their brain a chance to make the judgment call, whether it's conscious of them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, most of the suggestions my partner gives me, there's either explicitly or implicitly the sense that, like, I will only do this if I feel comfortable doing so, which includes in it consent stuff. Right. Because if they're telling me to do something that I, for whatever reason, don't want to do on that day, like, you know, put something in my butt and it's not a good butt day then I will have the autonomy to either speak up or just not do it, which is Mm -hmm. important to set up in your suggestions. Mm -hmm. All right, so you mentioned a couple of suggestions in there, like particularly the bondage ones. Do you have any other, like, favorite things? If someone's like, all right, I want to do my first hypno scene. Like, the bondage seems like a relatively good, uh, approachable thing. Are there any other, like, relatively accessible... uh, go-tos that you think could work that for folks to like look into if they want to try this yeah i would say like an arousal dial is Mm -hmm. fairly easy um most people can like visualize a dial most people if you describe the feeling of physical arousal to them they can kind of like conjure that it can be good uh especially if you don't know the person super well to ask them beforehand like what does arousal feel like to you um so that you know what things to describe when you're describing that to them and then you've already kind of got that buy-in and they're already thinking about it right and the other thing i like about the dial is uh i like that my partner almost never says like now the dial's at a four and i'm gonna turn it up to a five like they'll ask me where i am at on that dial Mm -hmm. which gives them information that might be useful for them but also um doesn't force me to try to imagine that I'm feeling a way that I'm not actually currently feeling because mm-hmm. that's weird and that kind of brings me out of it. So like even mm-hmm. if they tell me to picture an arousal dial and I said like a two, like that's not a huge deal. Like they can yeah. turn it up slowly. And it feels like with that uh, something that a kind of skill that I've learned with dirty talk is adding just enough detail to make it believable, yeah. but leaving out enough detail that their brain can fill in the blanks. Exactly. Because if you give someone precise detail, then if I were like, you know, I'm talking about this thing and, you know, I, I you tell me the dial's at a two and I go, great, now turn that blue dial. And you're like, shit, the dial was red. <laughs> and it just gives your moment it gives your brain that moment of conflict. So I I think finding the degree of exactly how vague you can be to give the brain a little bit of flexibility and creativity. Yeah. um, A lot of times when people are describing dials or other visual methods of, of like visualizing things, they'll, they'll like leave out detail or um, I sometimes will do it through indirect suggestion. So like when I was having my partner visualize a dial that controlled their romantic feelings, I was like, maybe it's in the shape of a heart or maybe it's just a regular dial, like, you know, just mm-hmm. allows them to kind of imagine. And then weirdly, they told me later that they were already envisioning a heart shaped dial. <laughs> so that was <laughs> naturally. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. I think like a fun one for me that I found easy when I was beginning was turning up my giggliness or my mm. smiliness. Um, and I think sometimes, like, especially if you're a beginner, like a non-sexual suggestion like that can be like a good starting point because then you're not mixing 
sex, which can sometimes be volatile in mm-hmm. with this brand new experience of hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And those are also states that you're very comfortable and rather prone to, especially yes. if you're with someone that you have a new crush on, right? You're going to be giggly. Yeah. So making you more giggly isn't necessarily like out of the realm of possibility. I think it's something that your brain was probably very like, oh yeah, that sounds right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> of course I'm like this around this person. Yeah. I think generally like, especially with a, a new subject, you want to start with something that they're already pretty comfortable and experienced with feeling um mm-hmm. or that they really know what it feels like like i really know what bondage feels like i've been in bondage a bunch of times someone who has not may have a harder time with that mm-hmm. maybe yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. um because you're leaning less on that imagination muscle and more on that memory muscle yes exactly so I, we're, t- we're recording all of this in front of my coat rack full of impact implements, <laughs> and I think gear is something uh, that kinksters are uh, very well known for and have a lot of love for. We, we're like, great, I'm into this new thing, allow me to buy every accessory <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Um, I, it's just, it's kind of what we do. Uh, what gear do <laughs> hypno kinksters have like we went to this thing and someone was very sweetly handing out little like pendulum thingies yeah. for people uh and i was like oh that's cute yeah like that makes sense but like what else yeah so you can have you know pocket watches pendulums these mm-hmm. things are pretty tropey um the thing with like visual fixation inductions is it really doesn't matter that much what it is like I could say like focus really hard on like the button on my blouse or whatever you know like it doesn't really matter but it is kind of fun to have an object for that that you find exciting to look at if just so that like as a top you can describe it better or as Mm. the bottom it captures their attention more it seems like a way to have like a talisman too like a a piece of personality yeah to it and to really like kind of express yourself through that which I always find fun yeah, and there's maybe an element of flagging to it yeah. as well. If you're at a kink event and you have a pocket watch hanging out of your pocket, like people are like, mm, yeah, maybe you're just fancy. <laughs> um, I think also like I've used spirals a lot, like spiral gifs for mm-hmm. um, uh, eye fixation type inductions, and so like having some of those on your phone <laughs> is good um, to be able to pull them up and show them to someone. Uh, I would recommend uh, checking your settings to make sure that the screen's not going to go dark in the middle of that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, also, like, there's a big subset of people who are into, like, hypnotic drug play, mm-hmm. which we talked about last week. Um, so for that, you might want to have, like, a bottle of water that you can suggest is some kind of potion that has some kind of magical effects. Or uh, M&Ms that you're going to pretend are, like, arousal pills or whatever the fuck you're trying to do. Um, any kind of they- small thing like that they used uh edible glitter from like cake decorating stuff because Mm -hmm. it's very sparkly and comes in so many colors you can get them at like cake decorating stores and it's really great for that like puff of powder if you're talking like you know old school batman (laughs) in the like compact like that style stuff yep yeah i would say also um if you're doing play that's going to be like sitting up you might want maybe like a neck pillow Mm -hmm. for the person so that they're more comfortable um, yeah, I mean, I, there isn't really a ton of equipment that you would, like, need. It more depends on what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of stuff with hypno is just, like, your voice, your words, your bodies, your brains. Yeah. Which makes it really cool. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I would... Something that, like, if I'm trying to create, uh, a, a more elaborate, imaginative thing... 
Um, and I, you know, I, I want them to think there's a cat on their lap and I give them a stuffed animal or something. Would, like, an accessory, something tactile, like, help add to that? Would it, if you're able to create more of this illusion in reality, does that sometimes uh, reinforce it? It or would could. it be a distraction? I think it depends on the type of person that someone mm-hmm. is. And I think that's something you would need to feel out through, like, practice and experience. Because, mm-hmm. like, I know that one type of person would see, like, a stuffed cat on their lap having been suggested that it's a real cat and be like, oh, my God, it's a cat. And then <laughs> other people would just be like, well, this is a stuffed animal. Like, it would take them out of it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's worth thinking about what kind of props you might have, especially if someone isn't super skilled at, like, visualizing things yet. Yeah. Um, but And I'm thinking, and, like, I, I said that because there is a cat on my lap, um, but I'm talking, <laughs> like, um, more, I mean, I don't know. For me, I think visual would be more distracting, but if I can do something more tactile, right, just the feeling of softness and weight. Right. Or if I can get, you know, a smell into the room that reinforces, you know, a certain idea or something. Right. Well, I think about um, one, like, thing that people sometimes do with fear play is... Uh, hold up a big scary knife and then when the person isn't looking or has their eyes closed take like a refrigerated credit card or butter uh-huh. knife or something and use that and you could do something similar with hypnosis where you're using you know something that isn't really what you said it was but is close enough as you're saying in the tactile sense that it it creates that sensation mm-hmm. I'm I'm just here being like how do I create immersive scenes <laughs> I want to create a fictional world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I think that gives folks a much clearer picture of how to start this whole thing instead of just throwing them kind of into the deep end of like, and also selfishly, it does similarly for me because <laughs> I have definitely been in so many of these conversations like inductions. That sounds like a thing that induces a hypnotic state. Seems right. And just went along with it. Yeah. Um, With like none of this background knowledge. So I appreciate you giving it to me as well as everyone else. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if folks want to know more about this, I would really recommend reading Mind Play by yeah. Mark Wiseman. Um, but all of those other educators I mentioned are also doing great stuff. I think that they're just doing like less 101 level mm-hmm. stuff because they're like Sleeping Girl, Mr. Dream, DJ Pynchon. Like they're all kind of combining hypno with like their various kinks, yeah. um, which is very interesting once you get to like a more advanced level. Yeah, I think I think that's a problem with a lot of sex education, though, is that the yeah. people who know enough to know the advanced shit and to be doing this long enough are really tired of teaching the 101. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then you wind up with people who only know 101 teaching 101, which is a whole other problem in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> why I, like, I was hesitant to do this episode just me rather than having a guest, but I was also uh-huh. like, I know that... All the people I would trust with this probably get asked these questions all the time, so... Yeah, and, like, also, we are also those people who are like, we have a clever person here, (laughs) I want to know your weird shit. Yeah, yeah, Like, tell me all of your weird shit. Yeah. Where, like, you are also a clever person, you are always here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Is that it? Should we wrap up? Yeah, I'm I'm going to uh, not so gracefully just pass it over to you to do the ending because yeah, sure. you're better at it than me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Dildorks. I have been Kate Sloan. I am at girly underscore juice on Twitter and Instagram, and my writing is at girlyjuice.net and katewritesaboutsex.com. 
Uh, as I said at the top of the episode, I just announced I am uh, writing a book. I have signed a book deal. It is a real thing. I'm writing a book called 101 Kinky Things That Even You Can Do, and it's going to be out uh, from Lawrence King Publishing in March 2021, which is a very long time away. But uh, if you want to know more deets about the book, check out girlyjuice.net right now. This, there's a post called Announcing My Book Deal, which you can check out. Mm-hmm. Where is your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at BexTalkSex.com and on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. Together we're the Dildorks. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks, and we're at thedildorks.com. You can also find us by searching the Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. You can also find us by ser- going to Patreon.com. We're everywhere. You can find us by going to <laughs> Patreon.com slash thedildorks, except there you throw money at us. Uh, so if you're going to go to one, that one's my favorite. thanks to protodome he did our theme song thanks to amy she did our logo and thank you to you for listening until next time folks get out there and live your sexy dorky life bye Bye. oh that's a long one that's a long one also